Hi, and welcome back to the Voice First Roundtable. This is episode 18. Today is Wednesday, May the 29th, 2019. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. My guest today is a gentleman named Adam Greenwood. Adam, say hello. Hello. Adam, thank you for joining us. You are joining us from across the pond over in England. Over, are you in London? Uh, no, I'm just south of London in a place called Bournemouth, about, just on the coast, about 100 miles south. Cool, cool. We appreciate you taking the time. You are an interesting guy. I'm going to yield the floor to you. Tell us who you are and what you do. Okay, so I uh, don't know how far to go back. I'll probably just go back to the kind of start of my digital career, which is maybe 12 or 13 years now. Um, so I started off working as a business analyst at a software company. So mainly dealing uh, after the software had been sold, uh, myself and my team would go in and, and understand more about what the business was trying to do with the software and how we might customize it to their needs. Um, after a couple of years of that, I then set up my own uh, agency, kind of selling that software. Um, and then over time, as that software became kind of uh, went out of circulation, we started focusing mainly on building pretty complex bespoke websites with lots of integrations um, uh, with like ERP systems and CRMs and that kind of thing. Then about three years ago, I spent um, I, I spent some time in Silicon Valley because I, I was starting to notice that opportunities for web agencies like ourselves was, were, were definitely drying up. So uh, I thought I would go to Silicon Valley and just see what else was out there. What were the leaders in this industry talking about? Um, so I spent maybe three or four weeks out there, uh, spent some time at Stanford and Facebook and IBM learning about autonomous vehicles, about drones, about AI, uh, uh, machine learning, conversational interface. And that was the thing that really got me a bit interested was conversational interface and, and how that was going to change the face of the way that we interact with the, the internet. So I came back from, I came back from Silicon Valley and stood in front of my team of about 40 or so web developers and, and, uh, very confidently said that, uh, websites are dead. Um, which in hindsight wasn't the best way to deliver that message to people who kind of dedicated their life to developing websites. But the, um, the, the really, the really uh, talented people that we had working for us saw this as an opportunity. And even the pure creatives realized that they were going to have to understand and learn about designing conversation rather than designing uh, necessarily in kind of pixels and, and you know, images. So uh, we, the, one of the first things that we developed was a, um, a chatbot for a, um, a Premier League football club. Um, and we were, we were just playing around with the idea of how conversational interface, uh, and in this, in, this, um, in this case, it was uh, using a chatbot, using Facebook Messenger, how that might change the way that people interact with something like a sports team, and specifically on match day. So we, uh, we developed this Facebook Messenger chatbot that, um, you know, as well as people being able to say, uh, you know, what time do the gates open? Where can I get a beer? That kind of thing. Also, we work with... Microsoft's, um, I'm trying to, I can't remember the name of the, the, the APIs and networks, but effectively we had um, computer vision um, uh, so that we could 
look at people's emotions when they took selfies and determine uh, their emotions throughout any key point in a match. So if there was a, if there was a goal or a, a, a foul or a free kick, we were encouraging people to take selfies and then we were using this computer vision um, and emotional recognition software to plot the emotional reactions of the crowd to those key moments in the game. And it didn't really help that uh, the, the particular game in question, the home team lost 5-0, I think, to the visiting team. <laughs> so you can imagine the, the kind of graph of people's reactions and emotions kind of went really, really low. Um, but it was something that was great. It created a lot of engagement. Um, it gave the, the Premier League team lots of data that they could use uh, and, and really kind of sold them in. On conversational interface and that was our first sort of one of our first major projects um, with conversation that was a very long kind of uh, introduction uh, to what oh. we're doing but um, hopefully that's okay yeah no that was perfect that was perfect um, right. just to go take a step back in time uh, and it's interesting just to hear you describe the start that you and your agency got from you know, the chatbot example and, and sort of a entertainment slash branding oriented example. I, I want to ask you, uh, you know, voice and conversational interfaces of varying types are being used in every sector imaginable. And we know that because we're producing a whole series of events around that concept, healthcare, publishing, banking, automotive, you name it, it's being done. I'm curious, from your standpoint, uh, just uh, as somebody who looks at technology in the way you do, as well as the perspective of your agency, what vertical excites you the most in terms of how voice and voice-first technology is being deployed? I think where I'm most excited is somewhere where there is, is just about nothing happening, which is, I think, travel. So the, the concept of voice first for me is, uh, as you can imagine, my home, I've got Google assistants everywhere and Alexa's everywhere. And, and I use them for all the things that everyone else uses them for. So, you know, turning the lights on and off and listen to music and ask questions. Um, but the concept of voice first for me is, is that people... Uh, and are in an exploratory frame of mind. And if I'm sat in my kitchen and I'm talking to my uh, friends or my girlfriend uh, and about, and we're talking about going on holiday, for me, the opportunity there to say uh, either to your Alexa device or your Google, I'm not going to say any of the commands in case people listen to them on their speakers. Um, but, you know, for example, how much will a flight to Hawaii cost me? Now, I would expect that the big players, the kind of Expedia and the booking.com and, and all of these companies would be all over that because that's the beginning of a journey that at some point somebody might make a purchase. And although I don't expect ever somebody would book a holiday purely through voice, but just to start creating that brand awareness so that when you ask for those flight details and, and British Airways says, well, actually, this is the cost of the flight and I can send those details to your screen or your phone um, for me, is a is a massive opportunity for those brands, but also it's a really it's a really nice um, example of a good user case for voice. I can't believe that you would use that as an example because that's uh, the conference we're doing next week. It's the Voice of Hospitality Summit, and this podcast will probably go live right before that takes place. Uh, in preparation for 
that event, which is June 4th in Dallas, I am creating some, I'm, I'm producing some original research, uh, which I've done in the past for some of our other events, that is gauging the, quote, hospitality readiness of Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, Bixby, and Cortana. Spoiler alert, these voice assistants aren't ready for hospitality, which includes travel in any way. <laughs> There's huge gaps in what they're able to do. And the example that you just mentioned, I want to book a flight. You would think that that is something that's built into all of these voice assistants uh, in numerous ways, uh, and it's not. So that research will be coming out. Some of it will be coming out tomorrow. Uh, but uh, I'll kick off next week's event with those findings. And uh, it's pretty interesting to say the least. So, yeah, I think that's a great example. Um, and, uh, you know, I I'm curious, that really dovetails into something else I want to ask you about. You gave a TEDx talk about the importance of avoiding echo chambers. And I love that concept. And I'm as big of an advocate for voice that you're going to find. Uh, we've invested in it. Uh, I'm a believer in it in every way. It's not a fad. It's here to stay. This is a permanent inflection point for computing. But in context of your talk that you gave, how can we as a community avoid voice and people talking about voice and the companies and the agencies investing in voice and working on it and pitching it and so forth? How can we avoid creating an echo chamber that really serves to hold everything back? What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, yeah, and I'll start by saying as well, I'm as uh, also a massive advocate of voice, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so I don't like, I certainly don't like to criticize it, but it's in my, in the, the TEDx talk that I gave about the echo chamber, I said how that it used to be 25 years ago when you would go to a store to pick up a newspaper and you would just, you know, you might read the, uh, I'm trying to think some US, you know, Washington Post, New York Times. Um, so you, you choose your newspaper and you understand that there's bias there, but at least you're still aware as you walked into a, um, you know, into a, into a store that those other papers were there. And sometimes you could even see those headlines. And what we're starting to see now with the social media echo chamber is how, um, because there are algorithms serving content to you, you're sometimes not even aware that these other points of view are out there. And I think we saw, we definitely saw this um, uh, with the Brexit vote uh, and with the Trump election as well. I think whichever side you were on, you were very, very surprised um, with the result, you know, because as far as you're concerned, everybody, uh, certainly for me, who was a, a Remainer in, in Brexit, everybody I knew and every newsfeed I read just said, this is going to be an absolute, you know, there's going to be 80, 90% people are going to vote like you. So coming back to the point around voice, when you've only, when you don't even have a screen to see something anymore, and if you start to ask questions about anything, about politics, about the news, if you only get one response, and that one response comes from either from Amazon or for Google, from Google, then it is concerning. Um, 
because you know you don't even have like multiple AdWord responses anymore. You're just going to get one, and it could be that that comes from an implicit invocation. So you might say, in this in uh, in the example we're talking about travel, I want to book a flight from London to New York. So Google might say, okay, well maybe you want to speak to British Airways, and you might say, excellent. So you've that's it. You you have not had the opportunity to see anything else or hear anything else. So I think that those the big providers, the big companies that are providing these uh, voice assistants, have to be really, really transparent in the way that they serve up the information that you ask for. And I don't. I think that's a very big ask because if you ask Google now, well you know how does somebody get to the top of your search engine rankings they're not going to tell you so yeah so i i so it's a very long way of me saying i don't know what the answer is but i think it's something that we really have to be aware of because otherwise we're going to create even more uh um, homogenous communities that are talking to their devices and just hearing one one perspective come back to them one of the things we try to do we've run an event in the united states for the last three years called the Alexa conference and uh, knowing full well how much of a shill <laughs> that, that sounds like um, what we do with that, that, that event has grown quite a bit before we have now turned it into project voice, which is the voice tech mega event that we have announced uh, for January. It's much broader, but while the Alexa conference is going on and growing, one of the things we deliberately did is put a speaker on the program who we called the contrarian <laughs> and <laughs> the contrarian a couple of years ago was a head attorney from the uh, United States government, uh, federal trade commission who railed against how Alexa is not nearly private enough, how and not nearly secure enough with data. This past Alexa conference we did, the, what will be the last one, uh, now that the event has changed, is we had someone come from a nonprofit uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, called Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood. And her name was Melissa Campbell. She also was a guest on the Voice First Roundtable last year. And she spoke about how nobody should ever let their children near an Alexa-enabled device, period, end of sentence. And, you know, when you have people like this on, uh, amidst a program that where every single other speaker out of, you know, however many, 50, 60 speakers is, is pro-Alexa, pro-voice, uh, pro-tech, um, it does a good job of at least holding things in check to some degree. And so I just, I wanted to ask you about your talk because I find it fascinating. Um, the necessity of guarding against echo chambers and, and politics is certainly one area. And you're absolutely right. The nature of voice assistance and the nature of these monopolies that these tech juggernauts have, all it does is reinforce these feedback loops and, uh, we have to guard against that. I, I love your answer to that. I want to ask you something else that's that's on my mind uh, about voice that that comes to mind, and then get your thoughts on it. Um, I was over in London earlier this year at the London Book Fair giving a talk about 
voice and in that case about voice and publishing and how there's some big missed opportunities. And the thought occurred to me, I don't think any research is being done at all. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, because I'd love to hear it, but I want to get your thoughts. I don't think there's any research being done on how different cultures and different countries, different nationalities think about voice. There's some anecdotal stuff that we get on Voice First FM from time to time. Uh, someone on This Week in Voice one time spoke about how in India, there's a voice-driven food delivery service, and it's super popular, and they'll deliver fresh food, that's strike one, that would never happen in the United States, um, to you, and then it would be cash on delivery once it's delivered, which is strike two and three, that would never, ever happen in the United States. My question for you, Adam, you know, do, in your travels and in your work with voice, do you perceive any differences as voice sort of becomes more ubiquitous around the globe on how different cultures or countries are interacting with it or perceiving it? I, I, I absolutely. I think that it really is dependent on, on culture. I was in, uh, I was in Colombia in September last year, giving a talk about AI in Bogota. And one of the things I, uh, I learned there, which I had no idea of was that for a number of years, people in Colombia who have got landline phones. So, you know, phones in their homes were able to phone Google uh, and talk down the phone and, and, and basically make a voice search um, way before we were able to do it with Google Assistant. So for people who didn't have uh, smartphones and didn't have home computers, they could talk to Google and re receive an audio response in Colombia, which I thought was really just outstanding. I, I also, also noticed that the, uh, the, uh, the amount of young people in Colombia who are using voice app, what, uh, sorry, WhatsApp voice notes um, and how there was no social stigma whatsoever talking to their device. I think in, um, in other parts of the world, people are still a little bit unsure about talking to their device and listening to their device in public. But I think, look, you're certainly in South America seeing that, that there was a propensity toward that. Uh, I also, um, you know, your, your example about India, they have some of the highest um, illiteracy rates in the world. So to be able to provide the same kind of services via smartphone that uh, we've all been enjoying for some time to people who can't read and write. I mean, that to me is a, is a huge win uh, for voice. Um, so I, th I think that there's, yeah, there's, there's clearly a great opportunity there to be able to speak to your, to speak to your device and, and order something. But we're also, we're working with an organization over in the UK that do something. I don't know if you have it in the U S but it's, we call it meals on wheels. So generally you get uh, uh, a provider will deliver food, like hot food, generally to the elderly, elderly who, people who live on their own. Uh, and so for years, these, these companies have used uh, a printed um, brochure where you can go through and select your meals and then, and then phone up or fill in a form, give it to the driver, and then, and then the next day they'll come back with the meals. They do have a website the average age of the user on the website is 83. Uh, and they're only taking, they're, they're a big, they're about a hundred million pounds a year business. And they're only taking about 17% of their revenue via the website. 
So we're currently working with them to work out how can we use Alexa and Google Home to enable uh, voice ordering for these elderly people. Because what we've seen is that very young people and much older people are the people most likely to engage with, uh, with voice-first interfaces. That's fascinating. And to answer your question, yes, we do have Meals on Wheels in the United States. My dad actually has volunteered with them uh, to, to hand out food uh, from time to time. And uh, that's how I know that they exist. Uh, great organization. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's a great example. And um, amidst your other ones, um, I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I, you know, your point of view and your perspective, your line of sight on things is, uh, is excellent, uh, just given what you do. And it's been, it's been fun to talk to you. For people who want to reach out to you and who want to reach out to Greenwood Campbell, to learn more about you or learn more about your agency, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, so, well, we now for a while you could say to Google Assistant, "Who is the greatest digital agency in the world?" And for about six months, Google would offer Greenwood Campbell as the first result. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but unfortunately, since we we held a, a conference in London and we had um, some pretty senior people from Google Assistant. Uh, and when we demoed that to the crowd, which was always a real crowd pleaser, uh, they said, you can't, you can't do this. <laughs> this is, you're, you're, you're gaming, you're gamifying our uh, algorithms. So unfortunately now you need to use, for now anyway, you need to use uh, our website, which is greenwoodcampbell.com. Um, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff there about the, the various case studies and the projects that we're working on with voice and with also uh, other conversational interface. Excellent. Adam, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate you sharing not just your time, but your deep experience and perspective with me in the audience as well. Thank you very much, Bradley. For the Voice First Roundtable, episode 18. Thank you for listening. And until next time. <laughs>